or not, but I know they shouldn't be. You think, well, you're up in front of us every week. I've been doing that for 18 years. All right. So I should be used to it, but when you're in charge of the message, it's a little bit different. So my bio is uh, I've been in this church for my whole life, feels like. <laughs> Since high school, went off to college, came back. Been married for 23 years to Bryce, and we have four kids. Most of you know this, but four kids, ages almost 22, down to seven. So our life is busy and all of the above. So anyway, um, my message today, the title of it is called "Even Though, If Only, and So That." Overcoming the grave of disappointment. Even only, or even though, if only, and so that. And you're probably thinking, well, what the heck? <laughs> Those are subordinating conjunctions. If you're a grammar nerd like me, you'll, you'll understand that. But um, I want to read, I want to start by reading John chapter 11. I'm just going to read most of the chapter and then I'm going to pray. In the village of Bethany, there was a, and I'm going to be reading out of the Passion Translation, by the way. In the village of Bethany, there was a man named Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. Mary was the one who would anoint Jesus' feet with costly perfume and dry his feet with her long hair. One day, Lazarus became very sick to the point of death, so his sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, our brother Lazarus, the one you love, is very sick. Please come. When he heard this, he said, This sickness will not end in death for Lazarus, but will bring glory and praise to God. This will reveal the greatness of the Son of God by what takes place. Now, even though Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he remained where he was for two days. Finally, on the third day, he said to his disciples, Come, it's time to go to Bethany. The teacher, they said to him, Do you really want to go back there? It was just a short time ago the people of Judea were going to stone you. And Jesus replied, Are there not twelve hours daylight in every day? You can go through a day without the fear of stumbling when you walk in the one who gives light to the world. But you will stumble when the light is not in you, for you'll be walking in the dark. Then Jesus added, Lazarus, our friend, has just fallen asleep. It's time that I go and awaken him. When they heard this, the disciples replied, Lord, if he has just fallen asleep, then he'll get better. Jesus was speaking about Lazarus' death, but the disciples presumed he was talking about natural sleep. Then Jesus made it plain to them, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there, because now you have another opportunity to see who I am so that you will learn to trust in me. Come, let's go and see him. So Thomas remarked to the other disciples, let's go so that we can die with him. Now when they arrived in Bethany, which was only about two miles from Jerusalem, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Mary, many friends of Mary and Martha had come from the region to console them over the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that, Jesus was approaching the village. She went out to meet him, but Mar Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, My Lord, if only you had come sooner, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that if you were to ask God for anything, he would do it for you. Jesus told her, your brother will rise and live. She replied, yes, I know he will rise with everyone else on resurrection day. And Martha, Jesus said, you don't have to wait until then. I am the resurrection and I am life eternal. Anyone who clings to me in faith, even though he dies, will live forever. 
And the one who lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Then Martha replied, yes, Lord, I do. I've always believed that you are the anointed one, the son of God, who has come into the world for us. Then she left and hurried off to her sister, Mary, and called her aside from the mourners and whispered to her, the master is here and he's asking for you. So when Mary heard this, she quickly went off to find him, for Jesus was lingering outside the village at the same spot where Martha met him. Now when many friends who were comforting her noticed how quickly she ran out of the house, they followed her, assuming she was going to the tomb of her brother to mourn. When Mary finally found Jesus outside of the village, she fell at his feet in tears and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus looked at Mary and saw her weeping at his feet and all of her friends who were with her grieving, he, sh he shuddered with emotion and was moved, deeply moved with tenderness and compassion. He said to them, where did you bury him? Lord, come with us and we'll show you, they replied. Then tears streamed down Jesus' face. Seeing Jesus weep caused many of the mourners to say, Look how much he loved Lazarus. Yet others said, Isn't this the one who opens blind eyes? Why didn't he do something to keep Lazarus from dying? Then Jesus, with intense emotions, came to the tomb, a cave with a stone placed over its entrance. Jesus told them, Roll away the stone. Then Martha said, But Lord, it's been four days since he died. By now his body is already decomposing. Jesus looked at her and said, Didn't I tell you that if you will believe in me, you will see God unveil his power? So they rolled away the heavy stone. Jesus gazed into heaven and said, Father, thank you that you have heard my prayer, for you listen to every word I speak. Now, so that these who stand here with me will believe that you have sent me to the earth as your messenger. I will use the power you have given me. Then with a loud voice, Jesus shouted with authority, Lazarus, come out of the tomb. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have made a way. You sent Jesus to overcome death. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, God. That he's come to give us life. God, I just give you my words today. I don't want me to be a part of any of this. I ask you to speak through me and let the Holy Spirit minister to the hearts of these precious people. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So I'm going to be really open and transparent for a minute. Many of you know that stuff that's been going on in our life, and Pastor Eric asked me to preach middle of the summer. I was like, sure. I was actually really excited about it. And then we kind of got blindsided with life. And I began to feel very unworthy and unqualified to stand before you. Who am I, with all the stuff that's going on, to speak into the lives of these people? Well, I told Pastor Shelley that. And she said, who better than to speak into the lives of the people? And that's our pastor. Some, some churches probably would say, no, you can't speak into their lives. But our pastors are so full of grace and love, and we are blessed. But I stand here today not from a place of, well, look at me. My life is fantastic. And if you do these steps, one, two, and three, your lives will be fantastic too. <laughs> I stand here in front of you from a place of life has been hard. And tears have been many. Struggles have been real. The nights have been dark. But God, 
His faithfulness has been constant. His strength has been my song. His grace has been a lifeline. I stand before you in a, from a place, from that place, saying, you know what? I know your life has been hard too. I know you've had struggles. But let me tell you, we serve a God who is faithful. We serve a God who his grace is sufficient to help us overcome anything that life may throw our way. So obviously I'm going to talk about the story of Lazarus. You know, vulnerability creates, I've learned, a safe place for others. And, and over the past couple years, I've had many people say, I'm going to grab a tissue. Well, I just love your honesty and your openness and your transparency. And, and I'll, I'll be, I'd be lying if I said that it's been fun being honest and transparent. I was kind of thrown into it. Because when your battles are public, I mean, what do you do? You can't hide behind a rock. I mean, I wanted to hide behind a rock. But, I mean, I had, life. I had children. I had life. I had to go do stuff. And so I just decided, Lord... If I got to go through this, then um, I'm going to be honest about it. And Bryce and I, we just decided that. You know, I, I, I'll tell you that after uh, just recently, I've had story after story, message after message, people that I know really well, people that I've talked to maybe once in the past 20 years, message me and saying, I'm going through what you're going through. People that, from, when you look from the outside, you would have no idea. That they're struggling with addiction or marriage issues and, and all this. And, and there are broken people who are looking for a safe place. Who are looking for someone to be real and say, I know what you're going through. And we can get through this together because God, because God is our strength. And so I just want you to know that Bryce and I decided, I mean, if we have to go through hell, there was, there was nothing we could do but walk through what was, we were facing. And we decided if we have to go through hell... We're bringing as many people out with us. And that's all we can do. Some of you are going to go through hell. I wish I could tell you life is going to be easy every single day, but you know it's not. But if you got to go through it, you might as well bring some others out with you on your way out. Come on. So. <laughs> all right. John chapter 11. We're going to start from the beginning and go through it again. I'm super excited about this message. I know God laid it on my heart. and um... Okay, so Jesus, it says, The one day Lazarus became very sick to the point of death. So his sisters sent a message to Jesus and said, Lord, our brother Lazarus, the one you love, is very sick. Please come. And when he heard this, he said, This sickness will not end in death for Lazarus, but will bring glory and praise to God. This will reveal the greatness, the Son of God, and why it takes place. So immediately what Jesus did, he spoke over the situation. Lazarus was fixing to die. He was very sick. What did Jesus do? Did he worry? Did he say, oh, what should I do? What, what can I do? What's going to happen? He immediately spoke over the situation. This will not end in death. I'm telling you today, whatever you're facing, Jesus has already spoke over your situation and said, this will not destroy you. Right. And let me tell you, when Jesus says something, it's not, oh, I wonder if it will happen. 
I wonder if it is true. When Jesus says something, you can take it to the bank. Jesus said, this situation will not destroy them. And he's already spoken that over you. Whatever you're facing, he is saying, this situation will not destroy you. You may have to walk through it. You may have to suffer a little bit. It may not be easy, but you will not be destroyed. Are you hearing me today? That's exciting to me. So no matter what happens, God wastes nothing. He isn't thrown off by our choices. Some of the stuff we get into caused by our choices. I'm fully aware of that. But God is not blindsided by our choices. Okay? He takes everything. Other choices that affect us. A diagnosis. The loss of a job. Divorce. God can use anything for his glory. He works all things out for good. Amen? He does. He works all things out for good. So verse 5 and 6. Now, even though Jesus loved Mary, even though Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he remained where he was for two more days. So there we have our first subordinating conjunction. I love saying that word because I am a grammar nerd. My mom got me a coffee mug that said, I'm silently correcting your grammar, and that can be that can not be truer. Ask my kids. They hate when I edit their school papers because I come on. Anyway, even though, now, even though Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he remained where he was for two more days. Even though he loved, he remained. Even though he loved, he didn't fix the situation right away. Even though he loves, Sometimes he tarries. Even though he loves us, sometimes we have to go through stuff. Even though he loves us, sometimes the answer to our prayers do not come immediately. Jesus could have went immediately. He could have dropped everything. He, could have, he was two or three miles away. So, I mean, he could have walked there in a matter of two hours. He could have been there. He could have healed Lazarus, and it could have been done with. But would we have the story that we have in the Bible? Even though he loves you, sometimes he will tarry in answering your prayers. Even though we have got to settle that. So we have, the church has conditioned us, not this church, but... You know, just as a body that we, that God's love is in connection for what he, to what he does for us. God's love cannot be measured by what he does or doesn't do according to our timetable. He already proved his love for us. Oh, I'm used to the cross being up there and it's not there. It's so there for so long. He already proved his love for us by making the ultimate sacrifice. So what he does for us or doesn't do for us on this earth in our timetable is not a reflection of how much or how much he doesn't love us. Are you getting that? Even though he loved the Bible, you know, it doesn't say that in the gospel he, uh, about Jesus loving very many people. I mean, he obviously did, but he's, the word specifically said he loved Lazarus. And he still made him suffer. He still made them go through, not Jesus didn't make it, but he could have fixed it, but he chose not to. 
So when we're going through the even those of life, you know, Mary and Martha sent out their SOS. Jesus, help. We need you. We need you. Please come. And then they waited. And that's all they could do is wait. I'm sure they cared for Lazarus and they did all they knew to do. But all they could do was wait and hope and pray that Jesus would come soon, that he would come quickly. So when we go through stuff, we send out an SOS. Oh, God, please help. And then what do we do? We wait. We hope. We pray. So that even those of life or those times of waiting, those times of hoping and praying and believing for a miracle, and what we do during those even those, because we know God loves us, and we know he is good, but we have to learn how do we respond to the even those of life. Even though he tarries, I will trust him. Even though the storm is raging, I will praise him. Even though I can't see it, I can't see the answer to what I need, I believe it's coming. Even though the answer hasn't come, I know his timing is perfect. Even though the miracle hasn't come, I still believe God is good. Even though this is painful, I know I'm going to be okay. I know it's not going to destroy me. Even though this is scary and I feel afraid, I choose faith. I choose to live by faith. Even though I'm feeling weak, I know his strength will sustain me. Even those, there's many even those in life. You know, our, our kids... When they want something, they want it now. And in today's society, it is so bad. I mean, it's just, you have to wait. I mean, you can order something on Amazon and it can arrive the next day. And sometimes you're like, I have to wait 24 hours? I mean, we're so impatient. But in James, it says that the testing of our faith produces perseverance. Good comes from the waiting. Come on. Good. Good comes from the waiting. The waiting is, is not a waste. The waiting is not a waste. Whatever you're waiting for, it is not wasted time. God is developing and producing and getting ready to unveil something really good. The waiting is not a waste. My, my second son, my 18-year-old, my he is in a freshman year at Southern Nazarene University, and he has uh, playing football there, and he got red, a red shirt this year, which, if you know, it means that basically... You save your year, year of eligibility. You can practice with the team, but you don't suit up during game days. And it's a totally new role for him. It is, it's been a little bit challenging for him because he went from being the star football player on his high school team to now he plays on the scout team and he just gets pummeled during the week at practice by the starting defense. And then sat, Saturdays come and he doesn't get to suit up. He's not seeing the fruit of his labor right now. It's a whole new role for him, and I know it's frustrating. And I keep telling him, don't diminish this role. Don't diminish this time of waiting and developing because God is doing something good in you, and, and you, you're getting stronger and bigger and faster because, you know, he's 18, and he's playing against 22-year-olds. That's a big difference in college. Don't diminish the times of waiting. Don't diminish the even those in life. And know, know that God loves you. God is good no matter if he tarries, even though he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, he remained for two more days. So even though waiting can be hard, the good comes from the waiting. 
So let's continue. Verse 7. See if I found my place. Finally, on the third day, he said to the disciples, Come, it's time to go to Bethany. But teacher, they said, Do you really want to go back there? It was just a short time ago. The people of Judea were going to stone you. So Jesus, in previous chapter 10, he, the Pharisees had tried to capture him for blasphemy because he said, yes, I'm the son of God. What more do you need to believe? You've seen all these miracles. <sighs> what? How could he say he's the son of God? So they tried to capture him and stone him. And then he ran to, it says, beyond the Jordan to safety. And he said, okay, it's time to go back. And the disciples are like, are you sure you want to go back? Because you know they're trying to kill you. And Jesus goes on to say, are there now 12 hours of daylight in every day? And in that verse, he's basically saying, hey, I'm being directed and guided by my father's voice. When you're directed and guided by the light, there's, there's no fear. You know you're in God's timing. And um, when you're relying on yourself to give you direction, then um, it says you may stumble in the dark. And Jesus goes on and says, Lazarus, our friend has just fallen asleep. It's time that I go awaken him. When they heard this, disciples replied, Lord, if he has just fallen asleep, then he'll get better. And Jesus was speaking about Lazarus's death, but the disciples presumed he was talking about natural sleep. And I love this verse 14. Jesus made it plain to them. Lazarus is dead. They were kind of dull-headed. <laughs> Have you ever been dull-headed and God has to make it plain to you? Hey, Lazarus is dead. We have to go fix this situation, okay? Lazarus is dead. We have to go do something about it. And for your sake, he says, I'm glad I wasn't there because now you have another opportunity to see who I am that you will learn to trust me. Come, let's go and see him. So those are so that right there, but I'm not going to get into the so that's yet. Um, the disciples, see, let's see, Lazarus did. The disciples were fixing to benefit from the pain and suffering of Lazarus and his family. You know, sometimes God benefits to tarry others. It's not to make us suffer. It's not to teach us a lesson, although we learn lessons. But waiting benefits others. Hello, it's not all about us. <laughs> I know that's a shocker. I don't like to hear that myself. But it isn't all about us. I tell that to my seven-year-old all the time. Ava, it's not all about what you want, but she thinks it should be all about what she wants. And she's in here. I forgot. I love you, Ava Kate. She's precious. Okay, we're going to talk about that more later. But verses 21 and 32, I want to focus on these two verses. Martha said to Jesus, My Lord, if only... You had come sooner. My brother would not have died. If only. If only. Then verse 32. Mary goes out. She had the exact same response to Jesus when she saw him. Lord, if only. If only you would have showed up two days ago, three days ago, four days ago. Lazarus would not have died. If only. It's worse than the waiting. The if onlys of life, they're worse than the even those because the if onlys are when the weeping comes. 
the disappointments. If only God would have done something. If only I would have made another choice. If only they would not have hurt me. If only, if only we can get stuck in the if onlys. I'm telling you, if onlys cripple people. You see it. They start self-medicating and they start, they start doing all this stuff because they can't get past the if onlys. If only my mother would have loved me as a child. If only my dad would not have been an alcoholic. If only I hadn't been abused. If only my spouse would get his act together. If only we get stuck in the if onlys. Let me tell you, God wants us to overcome the if onlys. And this is where I'm going to stay for a while because I went through the if onlys. It's the weeping. It's the, if only, if only God, you would have done something. If only I would have gone back to school, taken that job, married the other person. If only hold us captive with regret. If only makes the outlook of our future contingent on what has happened in the past. Did you get that? If onlys keep us in prison and we can't move forward in our future because we're stuck looking what has happened. We can't get over what has happened. And so we can't see that our future is good. Or we think our future cannot be good because our past has been really terrible. So how could our future be anything but terrible? If onlys limit God, instead of saying, Jesus, you are here, you can fix this. Mary and Martha both said, if only you had come earlier. They had the Son of God standing in front of them. And in their mind, the only way the situation could have been prevented or fixed was if Jesus had shown up before Lazarus had died. The fact that he could raise him from the dead had never entered into their mind. Mm. So if onlys limit God, we say, if only God, if I would have got that job, my bills would be paid. Well, we're limiting God that our provision came from that one and only job. Come on. If only I would have taken myself to the doctor earlier, I wouldn't have this diagnosis. We're limiting God. Do you understand that? If onlys, living in the if onlys limits God. The Son of God was standing before them. And all they could think of was what he could have done, not what he could do or what he was fixing to do. If onlys rob us of present power and future potential, by focusing on past pain. I'm going to say that again. The if onlys rob us of present power and future potential. The, pow the most powerful person, the most powerful God was standing right before them. And they were being robbed of his power because they were thinking of what he could have done. The present power that was right there before them. They couldn't see it because all they could see was what didn't happen. Disappointments are real, and they can be crushing. They can be crushing. It wasn't supposed to be this way. How many of you ever thought of that about life? This is not how I pictured it at all. 
It was not supposed to be this way. If only are the times of weeping, the, the times where we say, where were you, God? Why didn't you? What did I do wrong? Times of our lives, and they're going to happen. And, and if we get stuck in our disappointments, we get stuck in mourning the loss of our plans and the image of how life was supposed to be. I'm going to say something, and I want you to listen. Sometimes to get your life back, you have to face the death of what you thought your life would look like. Come on. Sometimes to get your life back, you have to face the death of what you had pictured would happen in your life. That's good. Sometimes we have to uproot the dead things to protect the living things. Because you know, decay spreads. If you have a container of strawberries and one is getting bad, if you don't remove that within a day or two, they'll all, they'll all be bad. That decay spreads. Disappointments are going to come. But if we don't uproot those disappointments, it's going to spread into our whole life. And we will never see anything but disappointment. And we will never see anything but what God didn't do instead of looking at what he did. I have survived 100% of my darkest days. And you're sitting here, so which tells me you have su survived 100% of your darkest days. Think back on the darkest day of your life. And you thought, ah, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can get through this. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I will survive. Well, let me tell you, you're still standing. And so instead of looking at what God didn't do, look at what God did do because God brought you through it. Amen. Hallelujah. God brought you through it. I guess that excites me more than you guys. <laughs> okay. So two things that happen during the if onlys. Let's look at verse 23 and 24. Jesus told her, your brother will rise and live. She replied, yes, I know he will rise when everyone else does on resurrection day. She still is not getting what he's saying. Martha, Jesus said, you don't have to wait until then. I am the resurrection and I am the life. Anyone who clings to me in faith, even though he dies, will live forever. And the one who lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Then Martha replied, yes, Lord, I do. I've always believed that you are the anointed one, the son of God, who has come into the world for us. So here's Martha. Her brother has died. She is mourning. and She's saying, God, if only. She's in a time of pain and weeping and mourning and grief. Her soul is crushed. But yet she got this revelation that only before this, that Peter, Peter is the only one who had spoken this revelation out. Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. Because all the other Jews were having, oh, is he the Son of God? Who is this man? Is he the Messiah? Oh, he says he's the Son of God, but he can't be, so let's capture him and let's stone him. But Martha, in the time of her greatest hurt and her greatest pain, she got the revelation. This is the Son of God. She didn't get it after he performed the miracle. She got it 
in the time of her greatest pain. The disappointments, if we never face disappointments in life, we would never be drawn to the arms of the Father. Right. We would never be drawn to his, his constant love and grace. If the the if the if the if onlys of life, the times of weeping and sorrow can bring great revelation to us about who God is. It can take us to deeper levels of intimacy with Him. If our souls never ached with disappointments, we never fully, we never fully admit and surrender to our need for God. If we could fix everything just like that, if the answer came just like that every single time, we would never have the need to surrender and say, God, I need you. Oh, how I need you. Oh, God, I surrender. I need you. I can't get through this without you. Disappointments, we, they, they remove self-reliance from our life, and they make us rely on God. Do you see how they draw you? They just pull you into the arms of the Father. So rather than look at disappointment as a time that God withheld something good from us, we need to view it as a way, as God's way of leading us to something, leading us home, leading us to a deeper level of trust, a deeper level of intimacy, a deeper relationship with Him. I'm telling you, the times that I've gone through, they have just... I've just fallen to the arms of the Father because I had no choice. I had zero control. I've never felt that. There's always been something I could do, something within my grip that I could try to do. But this was something that I had zero control over. The only control I had was over myself and how I responded. It's, that's the only control most of us will ever have. And so I had to just fall in the arms of the Father because I had no other choice. Not that I wouldn't have. I know where my strength comes from. And has came from and will always come from. But disappointments are, they're hard. They're hard. But they can be so, so good. And I know that's hard to hear. But they can bring so much good in our life. They can, they can just make our relationship with the Father so much sweeter, so much greater, so much more intimate. So let's go on. Verse 33. So when Jesus looked at Mary and saw her weeping at his feet and all her friends who were grieving, who were with her grieving, he shuddered with emotion and was deeply moved with tenderness and compassion. And he said to them, Where did you bury him? Lord, come with us and we'll show you, they replied. Then tears streamed down Jesus' face. And most translations say, what does it say? Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. This, those two words, Jesus wept, 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 that just wrecked me. They just... I, I just, I'm undone when I hear that Jesus wept. Hear Jesus. He had spoken from the very beginning. This will not destroy you. This will not end in death for Lazarus. But Jesus got in the middle of their pain and grief. And he was moved with tenderness and compassion. And it says, Jesus wept. 
This is the most beautiful display, this most beautiful picture of us seeing Jesus as fully man and fully God. Jesus wept. Jesus weeps with us. Even though he has spoken, this will not destroy you. When you're going through it, Jesus gets down in the middle of your tears and he is weeping with you. The darkest day, one of the darkest days was August 12th. I was driving home by myself from Oklahoma City. And I was crying, and I was crying, and I was crying. And I kept telling myself, get it together. This is not permanent. You're going to see the end of this. You know God is good. You know he's going to bring good from this. But I couldn't stop crying, and I was mad at myself. I was mad at myself for crying because I thought, what is wrong with you? You are a woman of faith. This is not going to destroy you. And I heard these words over me as I was driving down I-40. Jesus wept. Oh, there's my ESPN. <laughs> Jesus wept. And it's like God was giving me permission to weep and to cry and to mourn and to just hurt for a minute. I know that Jesus was in that car with me and he was weeping with me. I'm telling you, on your darkest days, Jesus gets down into your mess, into your pit, into your distract, destruction, and he weeps with you. Amen. He weeps with you because he loves you so much. If that doesn't wreck your heart, I don't know what would. He weeps with you. So I want to tell you something. I don't want you to ignore your feelings. When disappointments come, you know, when we hear the word, oh, well, don't feel sad. Don't feel wrecked because you're a woman of faith. You're a man of faith. I'm telling you, God gave us feelings. Feelings help us embrace the pain so that our healing can begin. I'm telling you, my work for this year was heal. And I argued with God because I thought, well, I don't need to heal. I've already, I've already, I've already done that. I've already taken care of all that. I thought he was meaning heal from stuff that had happened in the past because this battle had been brewing and I thought we were over it. And, and I just thought, you know, that's over with and done with. But then stuff started happening. Not just in my, my own home, but when relationships outside, um, I just, just hurts were coming left and right, and I just thought, oh, God, you really did mean this word. I'm going to have to heal. In order to truly heal, you have to acknowledge your emotions. Emotions are from God. If they weren't, Jesus would not have wept that day. God gave you emotions for a reason. They're a signal that the healing needs to take place, and they push us into the arms of the Father. Feeling the pain is the first step toward healing the pain. The longer we avoid the feeling, the more we delay our healing. 
instead of explaining things away, like, well, God didn't answer my prayer because this, this, he needed them in heaven more than he needed them on earth. And try again. Instead of trying to explain our feelings away, invite God in. Don't explain him away. Invite him in and say, God, I got these feelings and I know that they're real. So help me walk through them. I'm telling you, I went through some anger. After the tears came the anger. And I was mad at the world. I was so angry. And I knew it. I felt, felt it. Just, you felt that. Like there's a, just a bomb going to go off on the inside of you. And so I said, God, wow, this anger is real. And I need to deal with it. Can't stuff it because that just makes it worse. So every day I just be like, God, I'm mad. I'm mad. Here's my anger. Help me get through it. And that was the course of a, f a few days. And, and then I just felt his peace. And, but I acknowledged the anger. Feeling angry is not a sin. Feeling sad is not a sin. Right. Feeling broken is not a sin. Emotions are real. But here's the thing about Jesus weeping with us. He did. He wept. But he didn't stay in that place of weeping. He didn't get caught up in the emotions and forget why he came. He did not forget the job he came to do. He didn't get caught up in the emotions. Emotions are from God. But they cannot lead us. They cannot guide us. Yes, we should acknowledge them. We should feel them. We should embrace them. Work through them. But they cannot distract us. If we let them, emotions will distract us from the job that God has given us to do. Jesus did not get caught up in the, in the, you guys have all been in a funeral. You've lost someone. And you know the emotions are real and they're raw. Jesus crawled down into their, into their grief and he wept with them. But he did not get sidetracked and cry and lose track of time and go, oh, what was it, God? Oh, crud, I've been led by emotions and I forgot that God came me to do, sent me to do something bigger. Jesus will weep with you, but Jesus will not leave you there. Jesus will lead you from the tears to the victory. Jesus will lead you from the pain to the purpose. We can't stay in our pain. We can't stay in our emotions. We can't stay in our feelings. Jesus wants to lead us out. So after the weeping, are you ready for the good news? Comes the resurrecting. Jesus wept, but after the weeping, comes the resurrecting. Because where Jesus shows up, life shows up too. He can't help it. It's who he is. He is life. So when Jesus shows up, life shows up. So if we invite him into our pain, he will show up to weep with us. But then he will walk us right out of the grave. Why we say glorious day? It's like I knew what I was preaching about. <laughs> He's calling your name. He's calling your name out of the grave. He's calling your name out of the grave of disappointment. He's calling your name out of the grave of grief. He's calling your name out of the grave of pain and past disappointments and letdowns. 
People disappoint us all the time. God is calling us out of that grave. Are you ready for the so that? So we have even those. It's the time of waiting. And we have the if onlys. It's the time of weeping. But now we have the so that. It's the time of winning. Okay, my phone. I gotta get back to mine. Verse 38. Then Jesus, with intense emotions, came to the tomb, a cave with a stone placed over its entrance. And Jesus told them, Roll away the stone. It says, Jesus, with intense emotions. You know, in one, in one uh, translation, it said, With great anger. And I was like, God, why was he angry? And I just feel like. Jesus was so angry that death, I, I, feel, I feel like it, it fired Jesus up to fulfill his purpose. Like he saw the grip that death had on mankind. He saw and he, he was so filled with rage at what the devil had stolen from God's people that he was just fueled to say, this is my purpose. I'm going to complete it. I'm going to overcome the grave once and for all. So if we let it, bad times can fuel our motivation, fuel our passion to fulfill our purpose. Oh, devil, you mess with the wrong family. <laughs> you think you're going to have the last laugh, but let me tell you, we're bringing down the hammer. I feel like that's what Jesus was. Oh, death, your days are numbered. I'm fixing to overcome you. Well, this grief and this pain and this weeping is going to be gone forever. Amen. That day is coming, you know. Yeah. Amen. Jesus did it. We're going to walk it. So they rolled. Oh, wait, let me back up. Then Martha said, but Lord, it's been four days since he died. His body is already decomposing. So, you know, this is the time before they had embalming and, and before um, they had caskets and all that. And I'm going to tell you something I Googled. Know the time that a corpse takes to decompose. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, oh, Lord, this is really a creepy thing to, to Google. And it might, like, if my phone were to be, ever be searched, it might cause some trouble. I don't know. <laughs> Let me tell you, in the Middle East, it is hot. And they would quickly get a body into the grave because it wouldn't take long before the smell and the decomposing would, would start. So do you want to know what happens to a body four days after death? Say so within 24 hours, it says internal organs begin to decompose. Body, and then three to five days after death, which is the time frame we're looking at, body starts bloating, blood-containing foam begins leaking from the mouth and nose. Okay, so that's where Lazarus was at, but it's super hot over there. This is in moderate temperatures. So in the heat, it could have been more like massive decomposition of organs in abdomen, 
accumulate massive gas, body turns green to red because of blood decomposition. So we're talking, there's dead, and then there is Lazarus dead. <laughs> he must have looked, I mean, he was like a zombie. Like he, you guys, he was dead. We've heard this story so much that we have been, um, what's your word I'm looking for? Unaffected. Yes, desensitized. That we don't understand the miracle that Jesus performed. God, he was dead. His organs had started turning to mush. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. His body was green. He had blood foam coming from his mouth. He was dead. D-E-A, dead. And so even though Martha, she's like, oh, Jesus, are you sure? She questioned what Jesus was fixing to do. How many of you, oh, God, are you sure? Are you sure, God? Oh, he's fixing to perform the biggest miracle in your life. And you're like, oh, God, are you sure? Are you sure? He is, oh, are you sure? And Jesus said, roll away the stone. Oh, Jesus said, roll away the stone. Will you let him? Will you let him roll away the stone today? Before he can call your name, before you can, he can call your name, you have to roll away the stone. And this wasn't even my notes. This is what I hear God saying. Before you can come out of the grave, you got to roll away the stone. They rolled away the stone. And he said, didn't, you t didn't I tell you that if you will believe in me, you will see God unveil his power. So they rolled away the heavy stone and Jesus gazed into heaven and he said, and here's the so that. Father, thank you that you have heard my prayer for you listen to every word I speak. Now, so that... These who stand here with me will believe that you have sent me to the earth as your messenger. I will use the power you have given me. Then he said with a loud voice, shouted with authority, Lazarus, come out of the tomb. So that Lazarus had to be so dead. The disappointment had to be so big. The tears had to be so many, so that those who stand around you will believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. So that, you guys, it's not about us. It's not about us. Yes, God wants good things for you. God has good things for you. God loves you so much. But when we get into this, oh, why is this happening? Why is this, why am I going through this? And we get into a pity party. We cannot see that God wants to, he wants to bring a so that. He wants to bring you out of that pit. Listen, God does not cause bad things to happen to you. But God will allow bad things to happen because we live in a fallen world and, and it's just the way life is. I wish I could explain it, but I can't. But that's why I'm not going to 
try to explain God away. I'm going to invite him in and say, whatever this is, I don't understand, but in the middle of the mystery, I'm going to trust you because I know there's a bigger purpose. Yeah. There's a so that yeah. these people can be set free. Amen. I hate alcoholism. I hate addiction. I hate the things that it does to people because they're broken. And they, they need a fix. No one takes a drink and says, well, I'm going to become an alcoholic. If you think that is what happens, you're just delusional. The enemy is sneaky, and he, takes, he just takes a mile when you give him an inch. And I'm not going to give the devil any more credit than he deserves because our Jesus is so much bigger. Yeah. And he has overcome the grave. Yeah. And he has overcome addiction. And he has overcome yeah. divorce. And he has overcome it all. And I'm telling you, the devil messed with the wrong family. So help me God. There's a story coming, and it's not complete yet. And I'm not at liberty to share everything right now. But I know that I know that I know that I know that God is good. And our so that is coming. Your so that is coming. Why have you been going through it? What has, why were the disappointments so big? Because the bigger the disappointment, the deader the dream, the bigger the miracle. God is calling you out of the grave of disappointment because it will hold you captive. If the devil, I could stay disappointed my whole life and I would go to heaven and I, I, could, I could live the rest of my life and I, I, I could go to heaven and enjoy, enjoy heaven. But man, what would I miss helping people around me? The devil doesn't care if I go to heaven. He knows I'm going to heaven. He just doesn't want me to set people free here on earth. He does not want us to, to get over our disappointments, to bring people out. You guys, there are hurting people. There are hurting people that are in bondage. And they need to sow that in their life. They need to see God, someone, use someone. And it could be you. So stand to your feet. If you have been in a grave of disappointment and you feel like, I can't get over this. It was just too big. And, and you've lived your life in a place of if only. If only I would have made a better choice. If only. If only. God, that's a horrible place to live. It's just, it's tormenting. It is tormenting. God is calling you. God is calling your name. He's calling you out of the grave of disappointment. Into a place of victory. Into a place that you know you're so that is coming. So I'm just going to pray, and I'd like the prayer teams to come. Angela, if you want to come play, that would be great. And, and, and if you don't feel this is for you, that's totally fine. You can go on back. I'm going to pray over the food, and you just go on back and you get started. But I believe God wants to do something because I know that God is calling us out of the grave of disappointment. It's time you roll away the stone because he's fixing to call your name. He's calling your name. So roll away the stone and let him in. Let him in. Let's pray. God, we just love you. God, we thank you.
you're always good. Even though, even though you love us, sometimes we have to wait. But the waiting is good. The waiting can be sweet. The waiting is not a waste. God, we, we know that disappointments come and disappointments are real. And we thank you that you are right there in the middle of our disappointments. You are right there weeping with us and grieving with us and mourning with us. But we thank you that our weeping days are coming to an end. And there is a resurrection coming. There is a resurrection of dreams, a resurrection of vision, a resurrection of relationships, a resurrection of provision is coming. So we roll away the stone today. We roll away the stone and we say, say our name and we're going to come running out of that grave. And he's saying your name. He's saying, come out of the tomb. Come out of the tomb. You may think you're too far gone. You may think I'm too dead. It's too late. It's never too late. God wants to revive you, wants to resurrect you. God, we thank you. So if, it's, if that's you, if you need prayer, just come forward. Let us pray for you today. Father, we just love you and we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We just thank you for what you did today in the service. God, thank you for using me, a broken vessel. You're so much bigger. You're so much bigger, God, than what we go through. You're so much bigger. Jesus, you really, you really are all that. You really are. Jesus really is. He's really all that he says he is. He really is. God, we love you. We just ask you to bless us today, Father. Continue to do a work in our hearts. And we just uh, ask you to bless this fundraiser, this dinner after church. We ask you to bless the food, bless the hands that prepared it. And we just thank you, God, for meeting all of our needs, meeting the, the needs of this church. I speak that over this church. We've been in a grave of lack. And I speak that provision is coming. He is resurrecting provision for this house. Do you believe with me? God is resurrecting provision for this house. The devil has put it in a tomb and it said it's too dead, it's too far gone. But God says differently. Abundance is coming to this house. And you know what? That means abundance has to come to you first. Amen. Because you are members and we are funded through members. So you should really get excited about me saying, God, bring provision to this house. Because it's got to come through you first. We call for provision. We call it forth in Jesus' name. Oh, God, I can keep going on. But I just thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And we just thank you, God, for all that you've done. If you need prayer, please feel free to come.